0: Welcome to KymeCast, where we break through and cut the BS in sports medicine, rehabilitation, and sports performance, and talk about how things really work. Welcome to Timecast. I'm Tony Mikla, along with Evan Hauger, Russ Dunning, Aaron Crouch. It's good to be back with you guys. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about really our provider onboarding and our provider recruitment process and really provider development that, that we do at kind and what, what really makes, in our opinion, a fantastic therapist and clinician to, to truly help more people and reach back to the community, which is what we're all about. So, but Before we go in here, Ev, let's take us into the beer of the night. Huh?
1: Alright, so for this episode we've got, it's called the Beta Sprayer and it's from Touchstone Brewing, which I'm told is also a climbing company. Um, they got really cool graphics with all the, the climbing stuff yeah. on here. It's pretty sweet. Like it. So this is a West Coast IPA. Um, get us started with something uh, something strong. Hopefully tasty. We'll find out. Yeah, you
2: be the judge. So all rides on this touchdown. <laughs> this is your primary review <laughs> <laughs> for someone that drinks beer very seldomly. <laughs> Making it all the more impactful. I know. No, right. I made myself a logger guy. That means i don't drink very much. that that makes sense here and you're, def- I'm you're I'm definitely a longer I'm actually in the same boat i'm sure moving this towards the Yeah. if you guys are like into the Seltzer <laughs> thing you know? no, no i'm, I'm kidding not. i'm not i'm it's too far down the road yeah, it path. is. <laughs> they have a phrase for that it's like claw me you know like white claws you're like hey claw me you know? let's get back on track it's, that's, okay. not, that's not a good
0: situation <laughs> no it's not so <laughs> <laughs> let me go claw me so with, um, what, what we talk about what makes a great, a great clinician and, and really what's, what makes someone excellent, at the end of the day it's about how well can you and really help people, how well can we help people we're working with and, and how can we connect with them or engage with them in the process is the biggest thing. So we've said it all along when we're, when we're recruiting uh, team members and looking for great providers and therapists on the team and we've always said there's really two things that are most important to us is, is number one are they passionate about what they do, uh, we can talk about what that means, and then number two would be are they able to communicate. Are they able to communicate with people in a in a fluid way, you know, in a confident way, and, and how do they carry themselves in that process? So really, those two things, and and you notice that experience is not on that list of the top two items. Uh, that's strongly because we have such a development program, and we feel confident that we can help develop some of this, help develop the skill sets of of how to provide care and what to do and when to do what. But at the end of the day, it's these it's these two other aspects of of their passion and then their ability to communicate and engage with their their client at the end of the day.
3: Yeah, I think you know. With, when it comes to our therapists, the word that we've used often is, uh, is the Master Clinician Development Program, and, and I think a big part of that master is, uh, is a master influencer. I'm thinking of like the best coaches in, in sports, or the best mentors in school, the best teachers in high school, and uh, really it comes down to influencing people, and, and there's a lot to that package of you know, whether it's active listening and engagement, but it's a, it's a huge part to what we do
2: yeah the interview process should almost feel like not forced you know it should be like a natural conversation like as soon as you get in front of someone that maybe you're hiring or you're looking to hire and you start up a conversation and they immediately start having connections with you and it's it's quite a fluid and and natural process and I see that as like okay if you can do that with us or if you can do that with someone that is interviewing you then you're for sure going to be able to do that with a new client which is also somewhat of an interview you know like how fast can you get to Um, what they find uh, meaningful in their lives and what they truly want to get out of this experience and can they trust you as a clinician or a guide or a coach to uh, connect with first and then guide them along the process.
1: Yeah and that really starts with are you passionate right like we when you communicate with somebody you can pretty quickly tell where their where their passions lie and I think we see this with with our clinicians across the board is The ones that do really, really well communicate very well, but they communicate very well because they're passionate about what they do, and so that's easily read by the the person you're communicating with. So the the patient patient in front of them can very easily sense your passion, and if if your passion is there, if they can tell you're passionate about helping them, I I think that goes a long way in making the the connection.
2: Or even just a genuine approach, right? So you have a genuine interest in them getting better as a person and really, really solving their issue and
1: right and, and, and exactly that, and the connection there's there's research that talks about I think this is with physicians more than with PTs, but I think it applies in any kind of interpersonal connection like this that the single thing most closely tied to somebody's outcome is whether they like you or not oh, yeah. right okay. so if if, if, if if they like you their their outcome is going to be better that's a, that's a pretty simple thing to, to start with, yeah. all right. the technical stuff aside
0: right yeah, you know, and I think we would break down passion a little bit further. It, it's always been super important to me, and you, you just see it in the clinician when they when they truly care about the person in front of them, and and that's really what our model is designed around is to get caring practitioners in a situation where they have time mm-hmm. to to really do it, do and execute their that, that passion towards the client. So, you know, we allocate a large amount of time for evaluations, and a large amount of time for our follow up sessions, so that the, these practitioners that really care about people's outcomes can dive in and and work with the client and when when you do that when you have that passion like I want to make this person better almost no matter what it takes and leave no stone unturned then that drives your your education in my experience where it's like alright I've got a client in front of me and maybe I have the answer or maybe I don't have the answer maybe it's like man I, I don't understand what's wrong and I don't understand why they have the pain they have or why they can't do what they want to do and so then that makes you ask that question and then spend time later either working with your peers or researching or, or finding answers and then so you can come back to that next session mm-hmm. and be ready, and that, that's what thats what this constant drive of education and professional development is in this field, is you, but but first and foremost, you gotta care. Right. And then as part of that process, you gotta have the time to to demonstrate that, 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 that you care like that. I think that's, I, I would say there's no, there might be some, but there's really no bad PTs out there, right, there's no really bad providers, I wouldn't say, uh, it's just the providers maybe with the system has not allocated them enough time to, to do their job at the, at the best of their ability to really engage with the client. And then the system forces them to move from one client to the next very, very rapidly. And in that process, you there is no way you can care. Otherwise, you'll be so frustrated that you'll yeah. quit in a week, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, this, the model that we've developed is, is such that one that can be consistent where we can continue to provide that time so that you can really personally grow and then really share that development on bring yeah. it to your clients.
3: Well, I, I'm continually, uh, you know, when, whenever we evaluate someone and you go through like the typical history and the typical questions that we're trained to, to ask of what was the mode of injury, how long ago, what what phase are we in, where does it hurt, and you do your tests, we can get very mechanical. And I'm... So often I realize that it's, it's with that passionate engagement of truly caring for someone that they give you a little pearl, a little pearl about their life that all of a sudden changes. Like, oh, I didn't know you had that accident when you were 16. Tell me more about that. Well, see, that happened. Then I started wearing these shoes or I started changing how I move. And then you get to appreciate how the person came to be in front of you. Because you know, when we're seeing a 40-year-old, we've got to remember that they have 40 years of miles on their body. It's not just a simple mechanical problem. You know, maybe they were a baseball player in college, or maybe they played an extra softball league and they had they twisted their knee. And they're going to forget about that when they come to you with back pain when they're 45. They're not gonna tie those together, but our job is to integrate that, that information. And you only get it by, by caring. Yeah. You kind of have to say, so what do you do? What do you like doing? Yeah. And it's with that deeper connection that you get those pearls that help give you clarity on what their body's been through, which is absolutely essential when we start influencing people with exercise. Yeah.
2: An act of listening, too, right? The only way you're gonna like get that information out of someone is like showing the mannerisms that you genuinely care, like you're really interested in their life, really interested in things that they've done, and giving them as much time as they need to tell their story. And then I, I think there's multiple points of being able to show someone the soft skills, so to speak. And it's one on the eval where they first meet you as an individual, and you're showing that you care about their process and that you can provide all of your energy or all of your knowledge to try to help them get where they need to go. And then every subsequent time they come in, it's again on the check-in as soon as they walk in the door, like where are you at, how you been, uh, what type of progress have you made, what type of regressions have you felt. Then you get them on the table and you start talking about their family, start talking about the things they like to do, and then you start coaching exercise. And even though it's a very, um, I don't know, mechanical approach and te- teaching them technique and whatnot, you can interject your uh, same soft skills and Talking more about their life, talking more about their interests, diving into them as a person and understanding them, so that then you know how to motivate them, you know how to connect with them, and then you can really watch for certain things that are maybe non-verbal signs that you can connect with them a little bit deeper.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: <clears throat> and relating it back
1: to like the the ultimate piece here, which is what what do they what do they want to do, or what do they really truly care about? So then, to your point, when you're on the floor with an exercise somebody wants to play golf they may not realize that there is a there's a hip hinge portion of of golfing right so when you're teaching them the stick hinge for whatever reason this is you can take every bit or everything that you're doing and relate it back to their why or the, yeah. the
2: piece that like makes yeah. them tick. Such a missing like I don't know <clears throat> I mean I, I, I help you know we all help the, the therapists around us and, and coach them up on a, a variety of different parts of their development but I feel like sometimes I used to talk way too much in a given session and I've dialed it back to be just more precise but I still talk a lot and I think it's mostly that on relating every single thing you're doing back to their primary goal or back to that moment in time that's gonna get them to the next step that's then to the next step to their goal they need like clarification of like what the heck am I putting energy toward right now and why is it important that I do it at home
0: yeah 100% I mean the the I mean, the data on like home exercise program following in our field is is, is terrible, Not right? Good. I mean, it's like yeah. you know, maybe less than twenty percent will actually do the exercises you prescribe, but that's because if it's just issued on a piece of paper and say, "Hey, do these three or four things," yeah. there's no purpose, yeah. you know, there's no reason. So, the the engagement part to what Russ's talking about, about understanding the person's life, where they're coming from. What is it that they want to do? And it, it's not, oh, I want to walk again. Yeah, but why? Why do you want to walk again? Do you want to walk again because you like to walk with your friends and your friends are walking. Mm-hmm. And now when they call you, you're you're saying, no, I can't go because my knee hurts. You know, I have knees, I can't walk with you, so I don't want to hold the group up. So they want to get their knee to be pain free so they can walk, but the real reason is so they can get back and join their society and their environment. And I, we see this at all ages across the spectrum and it's so critical, I think, to, to pay attention to this as a clinician is the people's social interests and their social life outside is, is really what's going to drive their want to function better. Maybe it's to play a sport and be on a team and be, be respected in that way or be able to compete. Maybe it's to be able to stay healthy and be able to stay fit and, and those things. Maybe that's more important to them for personal reasons or for social reasons, or it could be that just hanging out with their family. You know, I mean, you see it. It's just you see it with age, mm-hmm. uh, typically with folks. You know, where it's it sounds terrible, but you know, you you, you start off being you're not not able to walk as much, and then you give them assisted device and you give them a walker, and then they're they're frankly they're embarrassed. To, to want to use it so that they don't want to go out anymore now. They just don't want to be seen with it, you know? So then they end up staying home, and in the process of staying home, they're getting weaker. So now it's harder to get up and get off the couch and to, and to walk more, and now they're needing, you know, the, even the walker's hard for them. And you see this just diminishing function, very, very socially driven though, you know, versus if we could get them out moving healthily and actively or in the right circle, that probably could be the motivating right. factor. Yeah. Like, that's the opposite effect. We see when people go to, you know, these, uh, these care facilities, these senior living facilities where they, they join up with other like people and, man, they take off with their life again because like, oh, cool, I can go know, go for a walk with my friend and yeah. I can go, yeah, go play cards on Wednesday or whatever it is and get some back out and get some moving. It's purpose.
1: And the way we get to all of that stuff, we'll go back to a point that Aaron said, was he said he realizes that he talks less now. That's really the key. What I find is in a, in a session, if I find I'm talking about myself or if I'm talking, if I'm doing most of the talking, then something's not quite right right it's all about like asking leading questions kind of not not creepily but like prying into their life and like getting a, you know getting like extracting as much information as you can that yeah. you can then kind of use to to help create their narrative yeah. and their story to help them get better
2: i think a big one that younger therapists face is that there's maybe a they see an older individual or middle-aged individual that has kids and you know obviously they don't share the same life experience at that moment so there's there's hard there's a there's a it's hard to relate to your clients, and I think that's a huge hurdle they face right out of the gate. And I think you can really mitigate that by speaking to, you know, the client on, you know, what is it ultimately that you want to do. Give me more of your life background, and like, let me learn a little bit more about you. Because there's, yeah, I'm not going to be in a place to tell someone 40 years than I am, um, you know, how they should, how their body should feel. At the end of the day, they're going to be completely out of my league as far as life experience, and I'm going to take that wisdom and learn from it. But um, you have to allow them to kind of like tell their story and dive deep into things that they want and they care about, and that's how you start to relate to someone. And then they maybe have a like interest and you kind of dive into that aspect Yeah. Of it. But I mean, that's a huge hurdle I see with younger therapists is that you're kind of like, I had nothing in common with this person. I'm like, you kind of probably do. You just gotta start asking a little bit more genuine questions about themselves.
1: And you let them dictate it, right? You let them kind of dictate where things go and then you just kind of figure out how to fall in. And then that brings up another point of, back to the communication skills, is you've got to communicate with everybody yeah. differently, right? Yeah. So like the lacrosse kid is different than the basketball kid is different than the 60-year-old. And one of the, if we kind of shift this to sports a little bit, I remember one of the big things for me in the beginning was if if somebody, I played baseball, so if somebody that played baseball walked in, I could have a really good conversation with them about their sport, really good conversation, and instantly get buy-in because I understand like all the nuances of their sport and how that works. But a lacrosse kid walks in the door, and I'm like, "Well, you got a stick, and I don't really know what else happens. I know you get hit with it sometimes." And so it's a mixture of sports, right? Yeah. So, so you have to like, you kind of have to then, when that person walks through the door, you've got to then go educate yourself, which is back to the passion piece, yeah. and then figure out how to communicate with them to speak their language or speak yeah. their sport language. That's yeah. that's huge for getting buy-in.
2: That's. I mean, that's. It doesn't take much either. Like I had the same exact problem. I was like, how do I connect with someone that's a swimmer? Like I mean, yeah, I'd go to the pool and just like play around, and splash around on the deep end. With sometimes, your floaties. With my floaties. <laughs> 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 totally. Ah, secrets out, can't. Win. But uh, no, but if, but they come in and they they talk about their their upcoming meet or they talk about their training and and all the different stroke uh, variations and. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and try to pretend that I know something about it, but I'm going to allow them to take uh, the front seat and like tell me a little bit about this, you know, like, um, and then start to remember some of these things. So that the next person that comes and says swimming, for this example, like you can actually start saying some things. It's not just saying buzzwords just to connect with them. It's it's like you you start to learn from your clients as much as they're learning from you. Yes. Yeah,
3: I, I have a guy right now and he's he's one of the best pistol shooters in the nation. He continually ranks a very high and I haven't I haven't shot a gun to save my life. I'm actually blind, so I shouldn't be shooting a gun. But <laughs> but nonetheless he's, he's telling item. me how fast he needs to be able to pull it and he goes through a thirty second obstacle course and he's he's teaching me and I'm correlating his ridiculopathy with his repeated bouts of shooting mm. and we're getting somewhere and he enjoys this process because he realizes that in my investigative physical therapist mind is he's thinking if i can just teach you what i do in this course you're gonna figure it out and i'm like teach me give me the tools and we're gonna put this together because i know your body better than you do, but you know your sport better than I do, and together we do it. And that, that is this journey, and that's why I think one of the big parts of this is, is both the act of listening and not being afraid to kind of like say, teach me, tell me, show me, and when we when we get there, we start really kind of attacking yeah. what is important to them, and we make gains on it, truly. That's yeah.
2: Dale Carnegie in a nutshell, right? And that's why everyone in our in our team and our, in our yeah, in our team, all our providers, everyone is, is kind of required to read how to influence people and win friends. It's because it's like, let them talk about themselves, mm-hmm. and let's learn about what motivates them, and then they'll give us all the answers,
0: 100%. Yeah, I mean, just hearing you guys talk and going through it, it sounds, you look around like a, like modern-day coaching, uh, maybe compared to like the coach of, I don't know, the 70s or the 80s, you know, where you have this image of maybe Bobby Knight, who's a phenomenal coach, but yelling and screaming and throwing things and everything mm-hmm. else, you know? Nowadays you don't you don't see that as much. Though they're passionate, you see, you might see someone like a, you know, a Gr- Popovich, for example, at the Spurs is probably the most highly respected coach in the NBA, and he doesn't really do a whole lot of yelling. You know, he's more of a convers what well, doesn't talk that much at all <laughs> 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 to the media, which is, which is fantastic yeah. in its own way. But you know, he's 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 a listener. He's a mentor. You know, I think Steve has had a lot of success with the Warriors, and and having known Steve, he's just that guy is like he's a he's a genuine coach because he cares about his players and their outcomes and how he can put it all together. And at the end of the day, that's all we're doing as a clinician, as a therapist, is really coaching our our um, our clients in front of us. And what is it that you want to do? And then how can we help you? How can we help you achieve that? You know, because to Russ's point, yeah, we we know how the body works and we know how it functions, and that's all great and everything. But what do you want to do with it? You know, where do you want to take it? So it's it's kind of cool and. Just as you as you think about what we uh, what we what we look for, what we what we recruit in our in our process, or what we want to develop in our process, those are those are really really impactful components. And and actually, the idea of coaching is is something we really put our therapists through as much as possible early on, and put them in front of a group of people, put them in front of a team, and ask them to, to coach that team oh, because yeah. because it's such a communication uh, effort, and, and it's also an effort of. If you can reach 10 people, then working one-on-one should be quite easy for you. And then two, if you can watch 10 people move and start to analyze their movement and see them, then the speed at which you acquire information and can see movement and evaluate it actually goes up tremendously as well.
1: And nothing will sharpen your communication skills more than talking to a group of people. Because you say the same thing to 30 people and you're going to get some varying responses and then you start to really sharpen how you cue things from an exercise standpoint or how you say things from a teaching standpoint um, so that you can get the the best global response possible so you really kind of sharpen your sword from how you how you coach movement or how you Mm -hmm. speak to people
2: I think like the coaching piece as a young therapist or any really any therapist you could be in it for 30 years you've never coached before it'll be a great experience for you but um, that was one of the greatest things that I did right out of the gate was I joined one of our, our strategic partners or our gym owners in uh, Eldorado Hills, Vince Minnie with Minnie's House of Pain, and he's one of the best, uh, one of the best coaches that can connect with people at a really deep level, and one of the things that I learned from him right out of the gate was like, Aaron, you need to like touch every single person that comes to the gym. Not literally touch them, sometimes, if it's that's what they respond to, but you need to say, at least hide every single person and use their name. You need to ask them about their day. You need to ask them about their family. You need to somehow connect with every single person and it's gonna change based on their personality. It's gonna change on what motivates them. And when you can do that, then you build trust. And then, much like another great coach that's out there, Brett uh, Bartholomew, he's said multiple times in the art of coaching, it's less about the program. It's 100% less about the program. It's more about can you influence the person to do the things you know they need to do to make the change? And that's going to be such a wide variety of strategies, but you have to, it always starts in both of those scenarios with, um, committing to diving deep and connecting with people.
3: And that connection, I mean, we, t- we spoke of the word passion in the beginning of this, and, and passion is kind of hard. It can, be, it can be a little misled. And I, I love when we interview uh, upcoming therapists and asking, what did you do when you were younger, before grad school, even during undergrad or, or during high school? And if we find out they were coaching, Yes! That means you took the thing you love, and say it was baseball or soccer, and then you decided to influence younger people than you by five, six, seven years, and that's an act of passion. You're not not really probably doing it for the money. You're doing it because you love it so much that you want to teach, and you want to use what you are so wonderful at because you care that much about it, and you're influencing people. So you get kind of a two-for-one. You show the world how passionate you are by living it and teaching it, and by teaching it, you learn the external cues to use to the masses you see a lot of people move at once and you get a lot of skill sets that are really awesome and I think some of our better therapists all of our therapists are awesome but, but the ones that really have gravitated really quite quickly have a pretty vast coaching experience yeah
1: it's huge
0: yeah. So, like, in in summary, on what we what we've talked about, like, what makes uh, maybe a, a great clinician is certainly a, a lot of a lot of aspects. And we talked to, we started off with communication and passion, and you've heard that now. I think pretty clearly that you know can they communicate to to the client? Are they confident and able to engage eye contact? Those things because obviously that that shares your that you care and that you're vested and that you're engaged. So that's obviously critical. And then the, the passion side is, what does that really mean? And at the end of the day, it means that you, you really care about the person's outcome and the person's health at the end of the day, uh, at the level that you would actually go into further research to better yourself, to, to help to help them, right? And you know, we encourage things like like coaching groups is a big part of their, their experience, is a, is a massive one. Uh, we use a master clinician development program, and we spend you know definitely a dedicated two years of time. With our newer clinicians to develop their these skill sets, not only these two aspects of well, I can't really influence their passion, but to influence their communication, we can help with, and then influencing their education that fuels that that fuels that passion that passion drives with. So that's that's about a bit of our process, and and obviously at the end of the day, the whole goal of this is the clinicians can be better and can engage better with with clients, and then the missing piece, I think that. Maybe not completely unique to our to our process, but it's certainly becoming more and more rare in our field. Is is time? Mm-hmm. Is how much time does does a clinician have with the patient? And we, you know, this is this is the story right now in medicine and healthcare, and this this yeah. will be the story as we as we move forward. And, and however healthcare changes in this country, is it's about time. It's about units, and you know, being able to preserve time with a person. There's there's. You, I don't know that you could really truly help somebody, especially in our field, without understanding their life, where they come from, what they want to accomplish, what their goals are, specifically what movements they want to do and how that affects them socially I think is a critical mm-hmm. tie. But it takes time to do that. It takes some engagement. And if you're running in, you know, in 10 minutes or 15 minutes and then you're, you're out of that appointment, it's just impossible to, to expect that that there's going to be a relationship that forms out of that 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 there's is, is coaching, you know. I'm sure I can show you some exercises to do, but you're probably not going to want to do them. You're probably not going to understand them. And there's a good chance you're going to do them incorrectly all because I don't have the time to do it. Even if I was the most passionate person, the best communicator, I'm still going to fail. So that that's a big piece that that we bring to the table as how we we have the organization developed is that we can provide our our best clinicians with the time necessary to to really work with the person and become their, become their coach. And we talk about it as life coaching because it truly is impactful on their life. That's, that's when someone comes to see us and, and we take this so seriously that if you think about the amount of time taken for someone to visit uh, a clinician, a doctor of any kind, but certainly a physical therapist uh, or a massage therapist or a chiro or anything like that, if you're gonna come in Let's say you had to drive 15-20 minutes to get here, maybe, you know, it's kind of average at least to get in the car and get over here, and then you're here for roughly an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, and then you're you're back driving again for another 15-20 minutes, you've at least dedicated an hour and a half of your day. If you're doing that, you know, one to two days a week, Mm -hmm. you know, we could ask ourselves, I know that I would say, no, I, I don't have three hours a week. To go mm-hmm. to therapy, frankly, right? And so, the, the, what I'm, what you're asking for from your client is a huge commitment.
2: Yeah, it must be
0: amazingly important to them. And then my statement would be like, you better figure out why. Yeah, why is it that important for them to come that often? Just once a week, much less twice. I mean, in today's world, that's a lot. Yeah, um, to set their phone down, you know, to separate from the computer and disconnect, and be like, hey, I'm going to work on me. Um, you know, that's that, that's just a very unique situation that we're blessed with as an organization and and take very very seriously so we reward that back to the client with a, a, a clinician that cares a clinician that's dedicated, a clinician that has time to think And then obviously a clinician that can communicate is at the end of the day.
2: And to quickly piggyback off of that, in addition to that, knowing that they're investing time in the process to come here, they're also investing time in the plan you're laying out for them when they go home. So if you didn't ask those questions, if you don't know enough about them and you say, I need you to do X, Y, and Z at home for this many sets, this many reps, and not really say it's going to take them about 30 or 40 minutes, and you didn't formulate something that's going to fit in their busy schedule with their life or their job or whatever it is they're dealing with, that you're going to fall on the statistic that's pretty common around the world that they're probably not going to do their exercises. Yep. So, um, but yeah, I was, <clears throat> it's a little off topic, but uh, it does rile me up every so often. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> I have to ask the question what the fuck are we doing <laughs> when it comes to training muscles versus patterns? And so, If you don't don't know what I mean by patterns, it's the body really moves in a global sense, not just like an isolated sense. Um, Something that came very clear to me in the the very beginnings of my career that just like was that aha moment, I guess, was like the Dan John chart of the body basically moves in a push-pull, carry, squat, hinge, and lunge sequence, and some anomalies outside of that. And if you can just formulate your plan of care to accomplish those tasks, then you're helping someone get up off the floor, pick a bag of dog food off the floor, Propel themselves up from the ground in a jumping sequence, push the door open, pull something to them, and we're not talking about how I can isolate the T A or the multifidi or the bicep. Yep.
0: Freaking yeah,
2: freaking hate it. It's, it's, uh, agreed. No, yeah, you're agreed. Yeah,
0: spot completely. On. And, uh, no, nothing else needs to be said. I don't. But, we do yeah. get we do dive down these um, these rabbit holes, right, where we end up getting super specific. And of course, you know, as a scientist, as a clinician, you're. I to do research and that means you have to like get down and isolate, right? So, but we see that drive care and and what that should do is is give you knowledge and give you some background and then you can take that and apply it to something functional we say is the word that's commonly used or, or something more pattern-oriented yeah, right. so yeah I couldn't agree more as we had caught up in doing these isolated movement things and expect that's going to transfer and it just simply doesn't
1: do that. But just with anything the pendulum yeah. can go too far both ways yeah. and we do just devil's advocate again we need yeah. to be able to go back and say like we could still test something in yes. isolation and we could yes. still train something in isolation because yes. there are times where that's probably
2: Local relevant. tissue focus for sure. Yeah. I think about like okay how are you formulating in your brain that something that you're working on exercise wise is going to take them to whatever goal that they have, right? So if their goal is to become a a, a more powerful athlete through the vertical jump then we can't just talk about the quad. We can't just talk about the calves. Like there's no way you could formulate a line, a linear line in your thought process to be like I need to do quad centric exercises so they can jump higher. No. Per-
3: perfect example is, is teaching external rotation. Yes. The most common Uh, Exercise in all of PT land and I love it when I get a shoulder uh, patient and and they've gone through eval and I I say how many people have you gone through oh three or four different therapists and Like I guarantee you I'm going to teach you an exercise that you've already been taught before but we're going to do it differently and it's because I won't reference the supraspinatus or the infraspinatus. When we do external rotation, I'm not gonna talk about muscles, I'm not gonna talk about your little tendinopathy and be a little like geeky anatomy guy. I'm gonna say if you don't stabilize this shit, then you can't do a push-up or else your elbow will flail outward. And I try and make it real, because if you focus on a stabilizing pattern, then you get to focus on a functional pattern, and then they go, Oh, I get it. You see, no one ever told me that. And that's why they're not doing the program. That's why they're not doing their homework, is because you didn't align the dots right. for the
1: aha moment. And that's why we don't talk about muscles. But yeah. that comes back to communication, yes. right? You like, you segue That's perfectly tied back yes. into the, the overall topic here. I even though
2: I kind of yes. laid it out is there is that,
1: that really? was, Yes, very good. that was very good. That brings it back to the communication <laughs> thing. You've got to make it relevant for them, right? So that was what you did. You, you gave the light bulb moment because you made it relevant for them. Before, like you said, the, their other clinicians were saying, you're doing this to isolate your infraspinatus. And they're like, well, why the hell would I want to do that? I don't you even said, like the infraspinatus. Right, you right. said it's Man, because it's because yeah. your push-up hurts. So if you want to exert force in this direction, then you've got to be able to stabilize in this plane. So yeah, that's 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 it.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. We're a big fan of training the pattern, obviously, to make it make it more functional. And uh, like Aaron said, Dan John's done some amazing work here, and he's uh, all of his stuff is free. You just go on his his site is a great place to go check some stuff out. He's been a great uh, mentor for all of us and and someone we've we've learned a ton from. Super, just great at simplifying concepts i think it's like now yeah now and now it's not to take away from the fact that like this is simple and that's not what, what oh, we're talking no. about mm-hmm. by any means but because for someone to carry a certain load or someone to squat or someone to lunge or someone to hinge or someone to press there's a lot of stuff that has to go right and that's where we as a clinician have to take that knowledge base of that small little asymmetric single joint movement activity and then link that into a chain to create this this more advanced activity and that's that's the art of what we do, you know, taking the science and the art together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's what we're passionate about at our organization at CHIM is to, is to really do that, to improve people's functional status, to improve their, their life. And, and they, we gotta start wherever they're at. Sometimes they come in, can't, can't walk, can't raise their arm, can't do anything. So we'll start there. Sometimes they come in and they can run, but they just can't jump, or they can't jump as high as they want. So we'll, then we'll just start there and take it from there. But either way, it comes down to evaluating the limiting factor. And then putting a plan together and, and organizing it to eventually how do we get this sequence or this kinetic chain to work as a to work as a unit effectively? Yeah.
2: Beautiful.
0: Perfect. All right, well, this is ChimeCast. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. This was ChimeCast, and we are the Chime Human Performance Institute. Thank you very much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation with you please hop on our social media. It's at KimeHPI, and engage with us there. If you'd like us to feature a topic or answer any questions live on the show, post your comments there. You can also check us out on our website at KimePerformance.com, And there you can see links to content that we've posted throughout our podcast for more information.